This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. A podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. Tealby, PC, Ron Clark, Donna Bankson, Jack Towers, Shanda, Mark Newfer, Casey Joe McMillan, and Claire Schuler. Thank you all so, so much for donating and being a part of Making the Sleepy Podcast. And for anyone who's new to the show, uh, all these names that I just read are new supporters of Sleepy on Patreon.com, which is a site where you can go and support creators of the work that you like. So if Sleepy has helped you wake up more refreshed the next day, um, or maybe it's become part of your nightly routine, consider going to Patreon.com slash Sleepy Radio and donating even a dollar a month. That goes a really long way. And of course, as soon as you donate, I'll read your name in the opening credits of the next show. That's patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music that you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover art for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. So, maybe I should have mentioned this before, but quick update. Um, for those who have been following Sleepy as I travel across country, I've gotten a lot of really really nice emails and messages um, very concerned about me running around the country while we're in the midst of the corona virus outbreak and i just want to let you all know if anyone has been concerned 
Um, first of all, thank you for your concern. I am very safely quarantined back in Vermont at the moment, way up in the woods, far away from anyone. So I just want to thank you all who sent these wonderful emails. Uh, I am all good. So as uh, I have been quarantined for the last couple weeks, um, in a lot of ways it's been sort of nice. The silver lining is uh, you can maybe live a little bit healthier and take better care of yourself, cooking a lot for yourself and getting better sleep maybe exercising a little bit more than you used to and uh, I have been doing that but as many of you are probably feeling as well there's a little bit of stir craziness that comes with all that it's very necessary so for everyone who is respecting the quarantine thank you on behalf of the sleepy podcast but that feeling of stir craziness is definitely there And uh, I've been thinking a lot about what kind of adventure books I could read on the show so that when you're sleeping, you're dreaming of going out and exploring in the world to unknown places. I came up with a lot of good books, but I settled on one which I think you're really, really going to like. Here in Vermont, When I go down to my garage, my little Honda motorcycle is just sitting there staring at me, wanting me to take it out, even though it's a little too cold out and the bike needs a little work. But there is such a liberating feeling of being on a motorcycle and just driving around country roads. There's a real freedom to it. And to me, that would be the perfect antidote for these quarantine blues. And since it does need work, I pulled out the Honda shop manual for my little Honda CB360. It's a 1974. It's a beautiful little bike. And I truly am obsessed with uh, keeping it running whenever I come back home. I take it apart and do a little maintenance on it, get it running well again. There's something so satisfying about that. And uh, the manual that I have is a really old manual from the 70s, and it's just as satisfying to look through. And I realize it is quite boring to read through. Um, so it's perfect for this show. So tonight, uh, I will be reading from the shop manual for my Honda CB360 motorcycle. Now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes and let me read to you. Camshaft and valve mechanism. 
cylinder head. The cylinder head is so designed that the rocker arm shafts and rocker arms are incorporated into the cylinder head cover. It can be removed or installed with the engine mounted on the frame to enable the cylinder and pistons to be replaced easily. Valve Guides Each valve guide is securely supported by the spring seats as shown at right. It also is provided with stem seals to prevent oil from leaking into the combustion chamber. When disassembling the valve guide, take care not to compress the valve compressor more than necessary, otherwise the stem seals may be damaged. Cylinder The cylinder is an aluminum die casting, which is lightweight and has great cooling efficiency. Two special cast iron sleeves are pressed into the cylinder. Eight stud bolts are provided in the cylinder, and two holes at the rear outside act as oil passages to the cylinder head. In the two holes, O-rings are inserted to prevent oil leakage. Pistons The pistons are made of aluminum alloy. They are three-stage tapered as shown to provide for unequal expansion that occurs at operating temperature. Piston Pins Each piston pin is full-floating in both the connecting rod and piston with snap rings in both piston bosses. It is one millimeter offset to the intake side with respect to the center of the piston. The reason for this is that, since the pressure on the piston on the explosion stroke rises to the maximum after the top dead center position, the side thrust on the piston is moved before the top dead center position to avoid rapid movement of the side thrust on the explosion stroke, preventing the piston from slapping the cylinder sleeve. The head of each piston is marked to make it easier to install correctly. Cam Chain Tensioner Mechanism The cam chain tensioner is made of spring steel on which heat-resistant rubber is lined by packing and then heat-resistant Teflon having less frictional resistance is coated, minimizing chain noise and improving durability. The chain tension can be easily adjusted by loosening the adjusting bolt and then retightening it. Cam Chain Slipper The cam chain slipper installed to the cylinder block prevents chain vibrations often developed due to temporarily disturbed engine speed during deceleration. The cam chain slipper is also constructed just so that the synthetic rubber is attached to the steel plate and it has great durability. Trochoid Oil Pump The trochoid oil pump is driven by the crankshaft through the pump idle gear and drive gear. Centrifugal Oil Filter As the oil from the pump enters the filter rotor, through the guide metal and is picked up by the spinning vanes of the filter cap 
foreign materials such as metallic dust and carbon particles are separated from the oil by centrifugal force and are attached to the inner wall of the rotor. The oil cleaned in this manner is fed to the engine parts through the outlet port in the center section of the filter cap. Power Transmitting System Clutch The clutch is provided to transmit engine power to the transmission main shaft or disconnect it from the shaft through friction between the clutch friction discs and clutch plates. When the clutch is engaged, the friction discs and plates are sandwiched between the clutch pressure plate and clutch center by means of the clutch spring, thereby causing the clutch outer and clutch center to be pressed together. Under this condition, engine power is transmitted from the crankshaft to the main shaft through the primary drive gear, clutch outer, friction discs, plates, and clutch center. As the clutch lever is squeezed, the clutch lifter cam connected to the clutch cable is rotated and then is pushed out by means of the 10 steel ball located between the lifter cam and clutch adjusting cam. Then the force is transmitted to the steel ball, lifter rod, lifter joint piece, and pressure plate to cause the clutch springs to be compressed. Now the friction discs are separated from the plates, resulting in disengagement. Transmission The transmission is of a constant mesh type and provides a selection of six speeds, fulfilling the characteristics inherent to a four-stroke engine ranging from low speed to high speed. Especially the transmission plays its most important role in riding at the overtop six speed. Return shifting type is used. The engine power transmitted from the crankshaft to the main shaft through the clutch is changed in speed and torque by gearing. It is then transmitted from the drive sprocket to the rear wheel through the drive chain. Gear shift mechanism. The gear shift mechanism is a linkage between the gear change pedal and the shift forks and includes a shift arm, a shift drum, a neutral stop, a drum stop, etc. When the pedal is depressed for shifting, the shift spindle rotates, causing the arm to push the drum pins to rotate the drum. As the drum is so rotated, the fork is moved by the cam action of a groove cut in the drum to shift a gear. After shifting, the arm is returned to its original position by means of the return spring. The drum stop is provided to prevent unintentional gear engagement, shifting the gears smoothly. The drum is pressed by the number 10 steel ball to make it possible to shift into neutral position properly. Crankshaft The crankshaft serves to change the reciprocating motion of the piston 
into rotary motion in connection with the connecting rod. It also serves as a flywheel, limiting the torque fluctuation. The crankshaft is supported at four places by anti-friction bearings, two needle roller bearings on the inside and two ball bearings on the outside, increasing the load capacity and improving the strength and durability at high speeds. The crankshaft bearings are lubricated by oil from the oil pump. The oil enters from the upper crankcase, passes through the oil holes in the center bearing outer rings, and lubricates the bearings. Then, the oil collects into the notches in the side of the crank weights and enters the crank pins to lubricate the big ends of the connected rods. Carburetors Two sets of carburetors, one for each cylinder, are equipped. They are of a single barrel, CV, constant vacuum type. The venturi area is automatically changed by the negative pressure created by air to be drawn into the cylinder type. Following are the remarkable features. Because of a variable venture type, smooth power transition between low speed and high speed operations is provided. The construction is simple, acceleration is good, and fuel consumption is less. Starting circuit. When the engine is started, while it's cold, a richer fuel-air mixture is required. When the choke lever is raised, the choke valve is closed to cause the amount of incoming air to be reduced, resulting in an increased negative pressure within the main bore. Now, fuel is fed to the bore from the low-speed and main circuits. The choke valve is controlled by the relief valve, depending on vacuum created by air to be drawn into the main bore. Low-speed circuit. The low-speed circuit is provided to supply the proper amount of mixture to the engine at idle and low speeds. Fuel passes through the primary main jet and slow jet and is mixed with the air led by the slow air jet here. Then the mixture is squirted from the bypass and pilot outlet. The mixture to be squirted from the pilot outlet is regulated by the pilot screw. Main circuits. Primary circuit. The primary main circuit is provided chiefly for the low speed engine operation. Fuel flows into the main nozzle through the primary main jet and is mixed with the air bled by the primary air jet in the main nozzle. Then the mixture is squirted from the tip of the main nozzle. Secondary circuit. The secondary main circuit is provided chiefly for the normal and high speed engine operations. Fuel flows into the needle jet through the secondary main jet and is mixed with the air bled by the secondary air jet in the needle jet. 
Then the mixture passes between the jet needle and needle jet and is spurted from the tip of the needle jet. Operation of vacuum piston. The vacuum piston is operated by the vacuum within the venturi. When the negative pressure is low, the piston is pushed down by the spring pressure. As the vacuum rises, the piston overcomes the spring pressure and moves up. The jet needle built in the piston is used to supply a charge of optimum fuel-air mixture to the engine. Float circuit. Fuel flows into the flow chamber from the fuel tank through the pipe adapter and the clearance between the float valve and seat. When the fuel level exceeds a specified height, the float moves up on the fuel to cause the float valve to be closed, shutting off the supply of fuel. As the level drops down the specified height, the float valve is opened to permit fuel to flow into the float chamber. By repeating this process, the level of fuel in the float chamber is always maintained at the same level. The float valve is provided with a spring at the area where the valve comes in contact with the arm. The spring prevents the float valve from vibrating when the float moves abnormally due to riding and road conditions, maintaining the fuel level constant. The float valve is also provided with a special clip at the tip, which is hooked over the arm to cause the float valve to be operated together with the float. Linkage. The opening and closing of the throttle valves are controlled by the two cables, one for opening the valves and the other for closing them. The linkage mechanism, which operates the opening and closing of the two carburetor throttles at the same time, which are respectively coupled to the link arm by means of the adjusting holder. The throttle stop screw is of a flexible type and the right and left carburetors can be adjusted at the same time. Each pilot screw is provided with the idle limiter to obtain the constant CO content in exhaust gases at engine idle speed. Idle limiters The CO content in exhaust gases varies excessively with the adjustment by the pilot screw. This is why each pilot screw is equipped with the idle limiter to limit the adjustment range. Frame Front disc brake The front disc brake consists mainly of a brake lever on the right side of the handlebar, a master cylinder, calipers installed to the left front fork, and a brake disc installed in the wheel hub, increasing safety in the operation of the motorcycle. The brake disc is provided with the cover not to allow mud and dust to come in contact with the disc, resulting in a longer life of the pads. Operation 
as the brake lever is squeezed. The cam at the bottom of the lever moves the piston within the master cylinder. The piston so moved causes the primary cup to cover up the oil passage to force the brake fluid in the chamber A. The brake fluid so forced throughout the chamber A passes through the brake hose to cause the stop switch to operate at the joint. Then the brake fluid passes through the brake hose and enters the chamber B of the caliper A. The brake fluid moves the piston within the chamber B to force the pad A against the disc. Since the calipers A and B are free joined with the holder, the reaction of the pad A is exerted on pad B through the calipers A and B to cause the disc to be sandwiched between the pads A and B. Rear brake. The rear brake is of a drum type. Drum diameter is 160 millimeters or 6.30 inches, and it uses the leading and trailing type shoes. The brake linings are specifically molded, and therefore the coefficient of friction hardly varies with high temperature and pressure. The rear brake is equipped with a brake indicator to make it possible to find wear of the bike shoes and drum earlier. Brake indicator. The brake panel is provided with the index mark and the brake arm is installed on the brake camshaft with the brake indicator plate in between. If the index marks on the panel and on the indicator are not aligned when the brake pedal is pressed, it indicates that the brake shoes and drum are in good condition. As the brake shoes wear, the brake cam moves as shown, and therefore, the index marks reach alignment. Check the brake shoes and drum for wear, and replace if the surface limit is exceeded. Front shock absorber assemblies. The front forks are of a hydraulically damped telescopic type using a free valve. Each front fork consists mainly of a fork pipe, a fork bottom case, and a shock absorber spring. The shock absorber having a long stroke absorbs shocks very well. The fork bottom cases are made of aluminum alloy which is light in weight and has high rigidity. Travel of front shock absorber. Compression side, 90 millimeters, 3.54 inches. Extension side, 24.5 millimeters, 9.96 inches. Operation on compression stroke. Shocks from a road are transmitted to the fork bottom case through the front wheel and are absorbed by the rebound spring at the upper end of the bottom pipe in one piece with the case. At this time, the oil in the chamber, B, lifts the free valve off its seat and flows into the chamber, A, smoothly. 
At the same time, the oil in the chamber B also flows by the amount of oil entered the fork pipe into the chamber C through the orifice in the lower part of the spring under C. On extension stroke, the spring, now compressed, exerts a reaction to extend the fork bottom case together with the unsprung weight of the front axle. At this time, the oil in the chamber A is trapped because the free valve is closed and then flows into the chamber C through the orifice in the wall between the spring under seat and bottom pipe. By the resisting force of this oil, the damping action is provided. Rear Shock Absorber Assemblies the rear shock absorber assemblies feature the telescopic type oil dampers with bottom valves to give optimum damping performance under all bumping and rebounding conditions. The damping performance on the extension side is well matched with that of the compression side, providing maximum damping. Stroke of rear shock absorber is 77.6 millimeters, 3.06 inches. Operation. Each oil damper is equipped with the piston valves A and B and bottom valve. On the extension side, the damping action is provided by means of the piston valves. While on the compression side, the damping action is provided by means of the bottom valve. On the extension side, the oil in the chamber flows into the chamber through the orifice in the valve A. By the resisting force of this oil, the damping action is provided. The valve A is overlapped with the valve B leaf spring which covers the half of the orifice. The damping action is regulated by the deflection of the valve B. Under such condition, the bottom valve is open and the oil in the chamber C flows into the chamber B smoothly to prevent air bubbles from being produced. On the compression side, the oil in the chamber B flows by amount of oil equivalent to the volume of damper rod into the chamber C through the orifice in the bottom valve. By the resisting force of this oil, the damping action is provided. At this time, the piston valves are open and the oil flows from the chamber B into the chamber A smoothly. Air cleaners. Air that is taken into the carburetor, cylinder, and mixed with fuel must be as free from dust as possible. If this is not done, the dust acts as an abrasive, and under extreme conditions, the resulting wear will reach such proportions that it soon becomes necessary to recondition the engine. To reduce the amount of dust 
entering the carburetor. Two air cleaners, one for each carburetor, are installed at the air entrance, so all air is screened and filtered. In addition to filtering the air, the air cleaner is also designed to act as a silencer to reduce air suction noise. Each air cleaner uses a replaceable bellows-type paper element. Both air cleaners are connected with each other by a central air passage to ensure a constant supply of clean air to the engine, even if one of the elements is clogged, resulting in high efficiency. A clogged element reduces the amount of air to be taken into the carburetor resulting in excessive fuel consumption and poor acceleration. The elements should, therefore, be cleaned periodically. Electrical system. Fuses. Three fuses are placed in the fuse box and they are easily checked by opening the sea. The main fuse is a 15 amp fuse and the sub-fuses are 7 amp fuses, one for the headlight and the other for the position lamp, taillight and meter lamp to make it easier to find circuit failure. Even if the 7 amp fuses are burnt down, as long as the 15 amp fuse is normal, the horn, turn signals, ignition switch, and stop switches are operated properly. However, it is recommended that the cause be located before the damaged fuses is replaced. Inspection and Adjustment This section covers the inspection and adjustment of important ones of the items involved in the maintenance schedule on page 110. For other items, see the paragraph for inspection of each group. Tappets. The tappet clearance must be adjusted when the engine is cold. For ease of service, open the seat and pull the rear fuel tank rubber mounting away from the rear tank mount. Raise the back of the fuel tank slightly. Remove the tappet adjusting hole caps. Remove the generator cover. While slowly rotating the generator rotor counterclockwise, watch the left cylinder inlet valve tappet. When this tappet goes down all the way and then starts to lift, then watch for alignment of the index mark and LT mark. In this position, the piston and left cylinder will be at TDC, top dead center of the compression stroke and the inlet and exhaust valves in that cylinder should be fully closed. Check the clearance of both valves by inserting the feeler gauge between the tappet adjusting screw and the valve stem. If clearance is correct, there will be slight drag or resistance as the gauge is inserted. If clearance is too close or too loose, Adjustment is necessary. The standard tappet clearance is internally 
0.05 millimeters, or 0.002 inches. Exterior, 0.08 millimeters, or 0.003 inches. Adjustment is made by loosening the adjusting screw lock nut and turning the adjusting screw until there is slight drag on the feeler gauge. Hold the tappet adjusting screw in this position and tighten the lock nut. Recheck the clearance with the gauge. Turn the generator rotor 180 degrees counterclockwise to position the right piston at top dead center. In this position, the T mark will be aligned with the index mark. Check right cylinder valve tappet clearance. The adjustment procedure is the same as described in step 5. Reinstall the fuel tank. Contact breaker point gap and ignition timing. Contact breaker point gap adjustment. Remove the contact breaker point cover and generator cover. Clean and inspect the contact breaker points. Replace if worn or badly pitted. Light pitting may be removed with an ignition point file. Turn the generator rotor counterclockwise until one set of the contact breaker points opens to maximum clearance. Check contact breaker point gap with a feeler gauge. The correct gap is 0.3 to 0.4 millimeters, or 0.012 to 0.016 inches. If the gap is not within these limits, loosen the breaker plate locking screws and move the breaker plate to obtain the correct gap. Tighten the locking screws and recheck the gap. Turn the generator rotor counterclockwise until the other set of contact breaker points opens to maximum clearance. Check gap and adjust if necessary. Lubricate the breaker point cam with a thin film of grease. Note, contact breaker point gap adjustment will affect ignition timing. Ignition timing must be checked after contact breaker point gap adjustment. Ignition timing. Check ignition timing upon completion of the contact breaker point gap adjustment. Turn the generator rotor counterclockwise until the LF timing mark on the rotor aligns with the index mark on the generator stator. If left cylinder ignition timing is correct, the left breaker points will just begin to open as these marks align. If left cylinder ignition timing is correct, the left breaker points will just begin to open as these marks align. Start of advance at crankshaft is 1800 RPM. Full advance at crankshaft 3400 RPM.
advance angle is 0 to 12.5. Note, static ignition timing may be checked with a 12-volt, 3-watt continuity light. When connected, as illustrated in figure 3-7, with the main switch in the on position, the light will come on as the breaker points open. Static timing is relatively accurate, but for best results, a stroboscopic timing light should be used to check ignition timing in both slow and full advance positions. If left cylinder ignition timing is incorrect, loosen the base plate locking screws and rotate the base plate to obtain correct timing. Rotate the base plate clockwise to advance timing or counterclockwise to slow timing. Tighten the base plate locking screws and recheck left breaker point gap. Turn the generator rotor counterclockwise until the F timing mark on the motor aligns with the index mark on the generator stator. If right cylinder timing is correct, the right breaker points will just begin to open as these marks align. If right cylinder timing is incorrect, loosen the right breaker plate locking screws and increase or decrease point gap to obtain correct timing. Do not loosen the base plate locking screws. Increasing the point gap advances ignition timing. Decreasing the point gap slows ignition timing. No, ignition point gap must remain within limits of 0.3 and 0.4 millimeters or 0.012 to 0.016 inches after ignition timing has been set. If correct timing results in a point gap which is outside these limits, increase or decrease both point gaps equally to bring gaps within limits, then retime by rotating base plate. If left point gap is set at 0.35 millimeters or 0.014 inches and right point gap produces correct timing, at 0.42 millimeters or 0.017 inches and rotate base plate to time ignition. If both point gaps cannot be adjusted within limits, replace point assemblies. Carburetor. Carburetor adjustment should only be made when the engine is at operating temperature. Checking idle speed. Set the idle speed at 1200 RPM with the throttle stop screw. Turning the screw clockwise will increase engine speed. Starting with either the right or left carburetor, turn each pilot screw to find the point of highest RPM. The same should be done with the opposite carburetor. Turning the pilot screw in produces a lean fuel-air mixture. Turning the screw out produces a rich mixture. 
readjust the throttle stop screw if it is necessary to rest the idle speed. After performing the adjustment above if the proper idling speed cannot be obtained or if the exhaust back pressures from the cylinders are not uniform, the carburetors require individual adjustments and synchronization. Checking Synchronization Remove the fuel tank and connect it to the right and left carburetors by the longer fuel tubes provided for this purpose. Hold the fuel tank higher than the carburetors. Remove the plugs from the right and left carburetors and attach vacuum gauges. Start the engine and check if the pointers of the two vacuum gauges remain between 16 and 24 centimeters. If necessary, loosen the lock nut and turn the adjusting screw. The difference in the negative pressure between the two carburetors should be within 2 centimeters. No. If each pointer fluctuates excessively, adjust it with the vacuum gauge adjuster. Upon noting that the pointers of the two vacuum gauges remain between 16 and 24 centimeters, snap the engine two or three times. If the pointers come outside the specification, repeat the step three above. If the pointers are below 15 centimeters, check the following items. Ignition timing, see page 18. Tappet clearance, see page 17. Spark plug gap, see page 102. Compression pressure, see page 30. Upon noting that the vacuum of the two carburetors reached the specified value, turn the throttle stop screw to obtain the standard idle speed. Adjust each carburetor with the pilot screw. Turn the throttle cap screw to again adjust the idle speed at 1200 RPM. Throttle Cable Two control cables connect the throttle grip to a linkage on the carburetor operating bar. One cable opens the throttle valves while the other cable ensures positive closure. Standard throttle grip play is approximately 10 to 15 degrees of grip rotation. This play can be adjusted at the grip play adjuster and also with the cable adjuster at the lower end of the opening cable at the throttle crank. To adjust, loosen the lock nut and turn the adjuster. Tighten the lock nut upon completion of adjustment and check for smooth operation of throttle grip through the engine range from full open to full close with the handlebar set to the extreme right and left steering positions. Clutch. The normal clutch lever free play is 10 to 20 millimeters or 0.4 to 0.8 inches 
at the lever tip to adjust the clutch perform the following steps loosen the lock nut and turn the clutch cable upper adjuster located at the clutch lever all the way into the clutch lever bracket turn the clutch cable lower adjuster located at the clutch housing in direction A to loosen the clutch cable Loosen the clutch adjuster lock nut. Turn the clutch adjuster in direction B until a slight resistance is felt. From this position, turn the adjuster in direction A a quarter turn. Tighten the lock nut. Turn the clutch cable lower adjuster in direction B so that there is 10 to 20 millimeters or 0.4 zero point inches of the play at the clutch lever then tighten the lock nut perform any subsequent minor adjustment with the clutch cable upper adjuster after the adjustment has been made ensure that the clutch is not slipping and that the clutch is properly disengaging after the engine starts Pull in the clutch lever and shift in the gear and ensure that the engine does not stall nor the motorcycle start to creep. Gradually release the clutch lever and open the throttle. The motorcycle should start smoothly and accelerate gradually. Cam chain. A loose cam chain will cause the valve timing to change, resulting in poor performance. It will also cause excessive engine noise. Adjustment must be made when the four valves are closed completely and the tappets are free. This position occurs at 90 degrees ATVC on the compression stroke of the left side cylinder. Rotate the generator rotor counterclockwise until index mark on the stator is 90 degrees ATDC after 90 degrees LT mark. If the valves are still lifted, rotate the rotor 360 degrees and repeat alignment above. Loosen the tensioner lock nut and the tensioner bolt. When these are loosened, the cam chain tensioner will automatically position itself to provide the correct cam chain tension. Retighten the tensioner ball and lock nut. Engine oil. Checking oil level and refilling. Remove the oil filler cap and check the oil level using the oil level gauge with the motorcycle in the upright position. The oil level should be between the upper and lower level marks. Do not screw the level gauge in. If necessary, refill the crankcase with the recommended oil through the oil filler hole. Again, check the oil level. Excessive oil may cause abnormal noise in an operative clutch. 
oil recommendation. Use only high detergent premium quality engine oil. The regular use of special oil additives is unnecessary and will only increase operating expenses. No, non-detergent and low quality oils are specifically not recommended. Viscosity. Viscosity selection should be based on the average atmospheric temperature and riding area. Change to the proper viscosity oil whenever the changes in average atmospheric temperature require it. Recommended oil viscosity. General, all temperatures. SAE 10W 30 or SAE 10W 40. Changing oil. Remove the oil filler cap from the right crankcase cover. Remove the oil drain plug with a 17 millimeter wrench. After the oil stops draining from the crankcase, operate the kickstarter several times to drain any oil which may be left in the recesses of the engine. When the oil has been completely drained, reinstall the drain plug making sure that the o-ring used on the drain plug is in good condition. Fill the crankcase through the oil filler opening with recommended grade oil. Check the oil level with the filler cap dipstick. However, when making this check, do not screw in the cap. Oil level should be between the upper and lower level marks on the dipstick. When checking the oil, make certain that the motorcycle is in upright and level position. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.